Thank you, Heavenly Father. We lift up this word unto you tonight. We ask you that you would come upon it very powerfully and that you would anoint me and come speak through me your words of life, Lord. That this would be as the parable of the seed and the sower, living seeds of truth and life that are sown out in the good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, watered by the Holy Spirit, taking root, growing, and producing a hundredfold harvest that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, that this will go out as the washing of the water of the word that it will go out like light shining dispelling all the darkness and the lies and the deception of the enemy and bring truth and bring revelation and life lord i ask you that your mighty holy spirit will brood over the word of god and those that are going to be hearing it and help us lord to really get captivated to give you our best ear our full attention our focus that you would anoint our eyes and ears to have eyes and ears of the spirit and good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives that this word will go out the winds of the spirit of god are going to carry this everywhere it's supposed to go that your mighty angels will watch over it and make sure the bible says that it won't return void but go forth and accomplish that which you sent it for it to do we bind the enemy that would try to hinder the word of god we bind up anything that would try to steal the seed or hinder we command to be bound in jesus name and lord let this go forth and accomplish everything you sent it for it to do in the mighty name of jesus amen all right so i'm gonna ask just as little moving around as possible as little talking it helps me out and others too from not being distracted okay all right so i'm on part nine with you know the mini series that i always do right yeah do this little bitty two parts no i i do some extended series here but this will be part nine it's called sifting and if you've been following the last couple weeks this just kind of flows with what god's been speaking and so I dealt with ungodly mixture a few weeks ago, and I dealt with the Holy Spirit last week. And I'm in this Mikdash series, and Mikdash means sanctuary. And this, I've got some graphs in here that's going to help you understand some things, but you know what I've noticed is that there was a time when there was a little bit more, and I'm not saying it's necessarily this way in River of Life, but I have seen it in a lot of places. There was a time when the sanctuary of God there was a reverence and people felt that you know when we come into the sanctuary area you know this is a place where god touches people it's a holy place and people kind of reverence that they reverence the presence of god and somewhere along the lines it's shifted where it's not called a sanctuary anymore it's called an auditorium and there's a lot of entertainment and a lot of other things that are being permitted there and so in this series i've been dealing with it's called mikdash which means sanctuary i've been dealing with the house of god and i'm going to cover a lot of different topics in this and right now i'm in the travels of david which i will get to in this okay but david was one that was a warrior but he also even though he wasn't a levite he still had a priestly aspect to him and he was prophetic and so David was a picture and type, obviously, of the coming Christ, the Messiah, who will sit on the throne of David. Now, we, right now, Jesus is not sitting on the throne of David. He's sitting on the throne of his father. But there's coming a time when Jesus is going to split the eastern sky, and he's going to come down into Jerusalem. His feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives. They're going to split in two. And he's going to go into the temple and he's going to take over and rule the earth for a thousand years on the throne of David. 
And so we're looking for the fulfillment. I can't get into it tonight, but see, there was, there's something of a principle under the law of Moses about redemption. A servant could be redeemed. A bride could be redeemed by a kinsman redeemer. Most people are familiar with it because of the story of Ruth. But if, if a close relative died and there was this wife there, then a close kinsman could marry her and redeem her that way. But then there was also the redemption of land. And land, because of different reasons, could transfer ownership. But at the time of Jubilee, everything that had been lost that was rightfully yours given to you by God, that land would be transferred back to you. And so it's a really interesting principle in the scriptures. And Jesus obviously has redeemed servants. And he has redeemed a bride. Uh, we'll have the full redemption, of course, when we see him in glorified bodies, which I'll get into that here in a moment. But when he comes back on the earth, he's going to redeem the land. That's what that seven-sealed scroll has to do with. You just make sure that the iPod, nothing's playing. Just make sure everything's off, okay? That needs to be. But he's going to come back, and he's going to redeem the land. He's going to redeem the earth, okay? All right, so let's dive into this tonight. 1 Timothy 4.1, I'm going to read this scripture, and then I'm going to explain some things in here. The one thing that Jesus said whenever he was giving like a private consultation, Peter, James, John, and Andrew were with him, and they asked him, they said, can you tell us about the end of, end of days? Because Jesus had prophesied, you see this temple, not one stone's going to be left on another. And so they began to think about the latter days, the end times. And so they were asking about it. And Jesus met with them like a private consultation with the four of them. And he began to talk about things that would unfold. But it's interesting because the very first thing that he said was, watch out that nobody deceive you. It's very important that we take that to heart. If you're, if you're taking notes or anything, make sure you put down deception. Because that is going to be one of the greatest attacks of the devil in these latter days is to deceive people. And of course, that will reach its climax at the time of the rise of the false prophet and the Antichrist. So there's different scriptures that talk about this. And I'm going to give you something that I consider to be a really amazing prophecy from Paul. Because you have to understand, when Paul gave this, he wrote to Timothy. This was only maybe a, a couple decades after Christ had, had ascended. And for him to see down a 2,000-year-old telescope, if you will, and see the day that we're living in and prophesy this was extremely profound. And so I'm going to read this. I want you to give me your best ear. First Timothy 4, 1, but the Spirit explicitly says, now what did I talk about last week? A relationship with the Holy Spirit and Paul says here he's obviously having fellowship with the Holy Spirit and he says this is what the Holy Spirit is saying to me the Holy Spirit clearly says to me that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith that can translate abandon the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits that can be translated seducing spirits and doctrines of demons so let me read that and put in some different words that can be translated here. In the latter times, some will abandon. 
walk away from, leave the faith because of deceiving demons and doctrines of demons. Trying to make sure this really is sinking in. So Satan, Paul is prophesying, is going to attack and there's going to be like these lying, deceiving, seducing spirits that are going to try to deceive people that are following the Lord. This is the target and seduce them away from Christ. And there's going to be doctrines of demons that will come forth to try to deceive people and pull them away from Christ. And that's what the Bible clearly says. In verse 2, by means of hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience with a branding iron, I don't know if any of you guys have ever done any cooking, you know, with steak or chicken or whatever, but if you take and you heat a grill really hot and you throw a piece of meat on it for a minute, it'll sear it. Then you can flip it over and it'll sear the other side. And the reason why people will sear it is because it helps to trap the moisture. But it's saying here, Paul is saying that there's going to come hypocritical liars, that their consciences have been seared. It's like their hearts have been hardened. And then verse 3, he begins to expound upon some of this. He says, men who forbid marriage. It's interesting because when you read that, it makes me think of Roman Catholicism. Amongst many other problems that's there with Roman Catholicism. I've talked a lot about this in the past. I can't get too deep into it. But Roman Catholicism does not believe in the gospel that we believe in at all. In fact, it's very you can look this up if you don't believe it for yourself. It's easy to find nowadays with the advent of the Internet. You can find just about anything. So look up the creed, look up the doctrine, and, and see for yourself that they do not believe in the gospel that Martin Luther preached, that we believe. The gospel... That it's not by works. It's not through the Catholic Church. It is by faith in Christ alone that you're saved. They don't believe that. They believe that you're saved through the Roman Catholic system, through their what they call their mother church. But it's interesting that Paul would mention forbidding marriage because that's one of the uh, you know doctrines or whatever of Roman Catholicism that we're all very familiar with. And it says, advocate abstaining from foods, which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. So abstaining from foods makes you think of rabbinic Judaism, the kosher diet. You know, you're right with God, you're not right with God based on a, a, a diet that you eat or don't eat or whatever. And so it's, it's really interesting to me to see this prophesied because in the day that we live, it's like there's this path. I hope y'all are hearing me tonight. There's this path of righteousness. There's a path of light where, where you know Christ. You're born again. You're his. And you're following him. But it's like there's two different sides of the road that are both ditches 
that are trying to pull people into religion and legalism. And you have things, whether it be Roman Catholicism or other things, and I'm not being mean or coming against them in a critical way, but just other religious systems, other religions, that in these religions, it's not about being born again. It's about a creed. It's about a church. It's about, you know, going through certain rituals. But it's not about a new birth, and it's not about a relationship. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Is what I'm saying is very important. Because people are being pulled into this, and it's religion, but it does not offer salvation. It offers you religion. And then you guys know that I, how deeply I love the Hebrew roots. This is something we really advocate here. I love the Hebrew roots. Christianity sprang up out of the soil of the Hebrew roots. But with that said, there's rabbinic Judaism. And how many of you guys know, and I'm sure you do, we are not engrafted into um, rabbis and sages and rabbinic Talmudic Judaism. We're not engrafted into a secular nation. We are engrafted into Jesus Christ. There's a difference. In a day and age where, you know, the Hebrew roots are being understood again, praise God for that. I thank God for that. It's wonderful. But at the same time, there's extremes. And people are, some are advocating once again. It's just like the Judaizers that were in the time of, of Paul that the book of Galatians had to be written because they were trying to tell people that were coming to the faith that unless you are circumcised and keep a kosher diet, etc., 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 you cannot be saved. You cannot be in Christ. And Paul had to strongly come against that because it takes away from the gospel. If we can be saved by works, then there was no reason for Jesus to come in the first place. It is not through works that we're going to be saved. It is going to be your faith in Christ. And there's a new birth. There's a covenant relationship you come into through the blood of Jesus where the spirit of the living God is living in you. And you are now a new creation, born of God, engrafted into Christ, so to speak. And and in that, yeah, there's the Hebrew roots, but, that's, but it's in Christ. And so you're going to see in these latter days, the apostle Paul prophesied, I really believe this is what he was talking about. You're going to see that there's going to be a pull, a really strong pull. I can't get into it as much as I probably would like to because I won't be able to cover this sermon tonight. But many, not a few, many Bible scholars believe today and have believed for a long time hundreds of years that roman catholicism is going to have a lot to do with the whore of babylon the rise of the false prophet and the rise of the antichrist and play into the end times and i personally also believe that but you're going to see a strong pull as satan's trying to deceive people and you're going to see some that are going to be pulled instead of it being about christ and the focus the centrality of being born again in a living relationship in Christ, they're going to be pulled into rabbinic Judaism, and it's going to be a works-based salvation. Others are going to be pulled toward things like Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodox and other things that I believe that there's probably some sincere Christians sprinkled here and there that have come to know Jesus. I love them. I don't have a problem with the people. But they're going to be pulled into a works-based 
religious system and look at that as their salvation and they're being deceived. Be careful that nobody deceive you. That nobody take away the simplicity of the gospel. It's not complicated, but people try to complicate it. The gospel is all about Jesus. If you could live in unrepentant sin and go to heaven when you die, then why did Jesus come in the first place? If your good works could get you into heaven, then what was the point of him having to die on a cross? It is a simple gospel of looking to Christ and what he did, that he is the door. He is our salvation. He is our source. And then Paul goes on to say about how, you know, abstaining from certain foods, which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Now, we're living in a time where these prophecies that the apostle Paul gave, we're seeing them now manifesting in society. I mean, prophecies that we have not seen come to pass through all these times even jesus said you would see signs in the heavens there'd be signs on the earth all that th i've studied in time prophecy for years in depth and i'm telling you that you're seeing all of it now here's one of them right here paul said in second timothy 3 1 but realize this that in the last days difficult times will come now in the greek that can translate fierce times has anybody ever thought about the word fierce you ever thought about like a, a dog that, that, is, that is ready to attack you and it's, it's a ferocious thing? Okay, I, I want you to think about fierce for a moment. But realize this, that in the last days there's going to be fierce times that come. Now look at verse 2. Men will be lovers of themselves. How many of you guys can see and be honest and say that you see in today's society people that are so in love with themselves all they care about is themselves lovers of money so caught up with that the love of money is the root of all evil they're boastful and arrogant revilers disobedient to parents ungrateful we're living in a time i don't say this lightly but we seem to be living in a time where there's people out there that would jump somebody and slit their throat for a $5 bill. Somebody that would be willing to pull a gun and shoot somebody because they cut them off in traffic. The Bible says that they would be unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips. If I've ever, it, look, church has always had these, these people you know that slither around in there and that's what they do but man i'm telling you we're living in a time that i've seen more of that jezebel spirits judas's malicious gossips i've seen more of it today than i've ever seen without self-control brutal haters of good i think about you know a few years back the democratic party was booing God. Y'all remember that? Haters of good, the Bible says. Treacherous, that's betrayals. Reckless, conceited, 
lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. How many people today are so caught up with different forms of self-pleasure, whether it's sexual, whether it's drugs, whatever it is, they are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Now, here's the scripture I want to highlight. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. I want you to think about that. Holding to a form of godliness. That's what I'm trying to talk about. In these latter days, there's going to be spirits that are roaming the earth. Lying, deceiving, seducing spirits that are going to try to seduce Christians away from the simplicity of the gospel. Where they just have a form of religion, a form of godliness, but it's just an outward religious thing. But they deny the power. What is the power? First off, the Bible says that the gospel, the true gospel, is the power of God unto salvation. That's number one. They're going to be drawn away from that. We're seeing a time where people that used to profess Christianity and be in churches now have walked away from the faith and are practicing homosexuals or they're an atheist or they're into some other weird religion or now they're a witch. Something came in, some lying, deceiving, seducing spirits came in and began to seduce them away from Jesus Christ. Next thing you know, they're denying him. Doctrines of demons. Doctrines promulgated by men that are clergy. That are telling people that you can be a practicing homosexual and still go to heaven when you die. This is coming even from people that, you know, are pastors and church leaders telling people this. I, man, I would not want to be in their shoes when they enter eternity. Because not only are they going to be in hell, but they're taking others with them. And the Bible says that those that, that practice this, that live this way, including they hold to a form of godliness but deny its power the bible says to avoid these people turn away from them don't associate with these types of people for among them it goes on to say are those who have entered households and and captivate weak women weighed down with sins led on by various impulses always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth just as janice and jambres opposed moses Jewish writings say Janus and Jambres were actually the two sons of Balaam in the Bible. But nonetheless, they were the two of those sorcerers under Pharaoh that could throw down their staff and it become a serpent. Remember that? But Moses' rod ate the other serpents. God displayed his power over the devil, but yet the sorcerers of Egypt could mimic some of the plagues. Remember that? I love the power of God. I love healings and miracles and true signs and wonders. I do. I love true prophecy. I've been given some very powerful prophetic words, and, and we've, we've all experienced the power of God here. Okay, I don't have to dwell on that too long. 
But just keep in mind, though, that everything has a counterfeit. And I'm reminded of the Bible in 1 John says to test the spirits. And I'm reminded in Revelation 13 that the false prophet will be able to perform lying signs and wonders, even calling down fire from heaven in full view of many, deceiving people. And so just like in Moses' day, Moses confronted Pharaoh and confronted these sorcerers, these witches. And they were able to do some things that were impressive. It was counterfeit. It's just that God's power overcame it and triumphed over it. You see what I'm saying? So in other words, don't buy everything that comes your way just because it's supernatural, because some of it will be demonic in these last days. Amen? All right. Just as Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men will oppose the truth. Men of depraved minds, rejected in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janice and Jambres' folly was also. So there's going to be lying, deceiving, seducing type spirits, and there's going to be doctrines of demons that are going to be pulling on people, trying to get them to to abandon uh, the faith. And the Bible shows us there's a great deception associated with religion. I don't know if people really have realized this. In the Garden of Eden, God placed the tree of life, but then he placed the tree that they weren't supposed to eat of called what? The knowledge of good and evil. But have you ever thought about the knowledge of good? I'll tell you what good is. Good is religion, but it's not God. Good is religion. It looks good outwardly. The works are good and everything. It looks good outwardly, but it's not god it's just religion there's a lot of religions but there's only one way to heaven and you can die with baptismal water still dripping off you you can die with a hymnal in your hand a communion wafer in your mouth and still go to hell because all you got is religion you better make sure that you have a relationship with jesus that you're born again, that you're in covenant with God. Now, based on the last two weeks and building up to this, I talked a lot about the third, second, first heaven and the spirit, soul, and body and all of that. I'm not going to get back into that. But the soul can, the enemy tries to manipulate the soul area. Remember that? The mind and the emotions. See, the emotions... It is so important, I can't express to you how important it is that you and I are not led by our human emotions, but you're led by the Spirit. There's some people that are led by fear, and it's a fear-based counterfeit discernment. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that fear not only is an emotion, but it can also be a spirit of fear. And people are led by their emotions, and they make decisions based on fear, based on other emotions they have, and Satan is going to be playing on emotions. I remember thinking about back in the days when when that Harry Potter first came out. It was interesting. Is that that lady Rowling that, that wrote it? She had, she had put this storyline together where you had this little kid that 
was rejected and you feel sorry for him. It's a play, it's a manipulative play on people's emotions. There are things out there that your human emotions may begin to feel sorry for, but God does not feel sorry for that. There's other things where your human emotions will feel angry and will be really against, but God's in it and he's not against it, he's for it. There'll be things that your emotions, if they're not checked and they're not led by the Spirit of God, if it's just human emotions, can get you way off track. How many people have gotten exposed to a true move of the Holy Spirit? And God was moving. Their whole life could have been transformed. But because they heard some weird thing growing up in some church that told them these things aren't of God or whatever, that fear, that emotion kicked in out they go and they miss a move of God in their life because their emotions also the intellectual again building on the last couple of weeks human intellect we have to be led by the spirit and Romans says the sons of God the mature ones are continually led by the Holy Spirit and your human intellect sometimes will be very much in opposition to the leading of the spirit and i've dealt with that in the last couple of weeks so i can't go there and park there but your human intellect you're never truly going to be able to take a finite mind like we have and fully understand god do you really think do i really think that we can really fully understand god what we're going to have to do is let the Holy Spirit help us understand what we can understand and learn to trust God because your human intellect is never really going. And I'm going to tell you something else. The human intellect, it can be very manipulated by pride and can therefore get people far away from the Lord. I think about people. I'll give you an example. There was a story that when revival broke out, back at the Brownsville, Brownsville Revival in Pensacola, 95 to around 2003. There was, there was, in my estimation, there was around a million people got right with God. It was a major move of God. But when that revival broke out, some of the people in the church didn't feel comfortable because now, I mean, most of them did, but there were some that didn't feel comfortable because now people are falling, they're you know, laughing or crying or shaking or literally being thrown back in the air or whatever. The power of God, the demonstrations of the Spirit's power taking place. And I'll give you one story. There was a man that was like a doctor. And so he has an image he's got to keep. Talking about pride. He's got an image he's got to keep. And he sees his kids being touched by God on the floor. And he said, well, I can't have that because it'll affect my image. It can affect my business. And so he pulled his kids out. But here's the sad part of that story they got far from God you know there's a there's a saying based on the scriptures that you remember Lot how Lot led his family into Sodom but whenever it was time for them to get back out of Sodom Lot's wife was killed his two sons-in-laws died there his two daughters became were sexually perverted 
and Lot was really the only one that got out of there still righteous. Sometimes you can lead people into Sodom, but you can't get them back out. We got to be careful that our, our pride and our intellect is not how we're basing decisions alone. We better be led by the Spirit of God. And how many of you guys also know that somebody that's truly born of God, that there's no devil and there's no human being that can ever steal that from you? Remember that. I'll tell you something I love in the scriptures. It says that there would be so much deception that even the very elect could be deceived if that were possible. But I'm going to tell you something. God knows his elect. He knows his true people. And he's going to keep you. And I have more faith in God to keep me than the devil to deceive me. But it's important to realize that there's no human being and there's no devil that can steal your salvation. It doesn't matter if they put a gun to your head. But at the same time, you and I have a free will. And there's some people, the Bible says, will walk away from God because they're deceived. It's interesting because God has always been faithful, but he's always given people a free will. Now, this is important to understand the nature of God. God, even in the beginning, when, you remember before Adam and Eve, Lucifer and the angels God gave them a free will. Some of them chose to be loyal to God, two-thirds, and the other third chose to betray him. Then you see Adam and Eve. Why in the world did God even place a tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the first place? Because he's not going to have an arranged marriage. He wants people to choose him. Please remember that. God does not want robots. He doesn't want people that are forced to love him. He wants people that love him because they want to love him, and they choose to love him. And so he gave Adam and Eve a choice. They were deceived, messed up. But you know what? God's so faithful. He began a redemptive process. But I could go on and on down through the Bible, all the way through the end, that man has always had a free will and a free choice to serve God or reject him. Even in the millennial reign of Christ and Revelation, the Bible says at the end of the thousand-year reign, and think about this. You read this, read Revelation 21, 22. But at the end of the thousand-year reign, Christ has been on the throne. He's ruling the earth. And I mean, all these people down through those thousand years, there's been people born and, and the earth has been repopulated. But at the end of that time, Satan is going to be loosed for a short time. Why? Because God gives everybody free will. He's going to give everybody a choice. And you know what? As the devil's loosed and begins to roam through the earth, there are going to be some people that are stupid enough to follow the devil. It's in the Bible. And they're going to march against Jerusalem led by Satan, and fire is going to come down and fry them. So from the beginning all the way to the end, God has given us a free will. And it's interesting because the plan and the purpose of your salvation... There are three words or phrases, if you will, words slash phrases that are used regarding our salvation. The Bible talks about those of us that have been saved, those of us that are being saved, and then those that endure till the end shall be saved. So look this up. It's, do your homework about it. But past those that have been saved, those that are being saved, and those that will be saved, what does that mean? 
Well, it means that when we accept Christ and it's real and you're really born again, that your sins are forgiven and you're justified before God. You're in right standing with God. You're in a covenant relationship. But now that begins the second phase. The Bible says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And the Bible talks about a sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the washing of the water of the word. And how important it is that people humble themselves and, and go through things like, you know, inner healing and deliverance and deeply consecrating your life and all that. This is the part called being saved. We're in a process of going from glory to glory, being transformed into the image of Christ, being strengthened, being matured. And those that will stay with the Lord and just be faithful, man, he will, he will do a mighty work in your life. How many of you guys can say, you know, years ago, uh, four or five years ago or 10 years ago that you're a different person today than you were then? That's a process of sanctification that we are in the process of being saved, if you will. And then the Bible says, those that endure till the end shall be saved. Now, here's the wonderful part. See, spirit, soul, and body, when you get born again, your spirit is being a new birth and there's a cleansing and a renewal but the process of sanctification the being saved has a lot to do with the soul area your mind the battlefield of the mind the emotions a deep cleansing a renewal of the mind but it doesn't end there this is how awesome god is see when adam fell god is in a process of redeeming everything so here's what's going to happen when the rapture takes place, when the catching away happens, do you understand that the Bible says that, that those that endure till the end shall be saved, that the whole point of the catching away is this. The Bible says in the twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ shall rise. Those that are alive and remain will be changed. You know what that is? That's where we're given our glorified bodies. And the Bible says we'll be like him because we see him. It begins in the spirit being born again. Then God begins this sanctifying process of cleansing your soul and yes, your physical body. But it doesn't end there because on the other side of this life, there's going to be a resurrection of the dead and God is going to give us our glorified bodies. Is this making sense? You see, right now, all those that have died before us are with, in heaven with the Father and with Jesus, but they don't have their glorified bodies. Their bodies are still in the ground. Some of, you know, many, many years ago, it's been so long that some of them have maybe turned to dust completely, but they're still in the ground. But you know what? When Jesus is coming for his bride, the Bible says that in a twinkle of an eye, all the dead in Christ will rise. And those that are alive and remain that are ready are going to be transformed given that glorified body. And then we're going to be at that marriage supper of the Lamb. I mean, looking forward to that. And then the Bible says we're going to come back with him to rule and reign on the earth with him. And during that millennial reign, there's going to be a lot of people born during that time that don't have their glorified bodies yet. It's going to be a time, I can't get into that, it's end time teachings, but nonetheless. But let me, let me skip past the thousand years. After Christ has reigned for a thousand years, this is what I love. So at the end of that thousand years, Satan was loosed and he went through and did like a final sifting of all the goofy people that are going to follow the devil and come up against Jesus. They're all fried. Fire came down from heaven. 
You know what the Bible says? That there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Peter said that there's going to be a, a fire that begins to burn and purge the elements of the heavens and begin to purge the elements of the earth as we know it because now everybody is going to be having glorified bodies. So now the earth, the heavens and the earth as we know it are going to be purged with a holy fire and cleansed. And the Bible says that there's going to be a 1500 mile wide and high city called the new jerusalem and this new jerusalem is going to descend from heaven into the current jerusalem area and the bible says the father is going to come down in that city and here's the thing the dwelling of god will be with man and man with god forever do you see the redemption of all things when jesus died on the cross it wasn't just for your sins to be forgiven alone it was so that ultimately you, you can be given a glorified body so that you can be with Jesus to rule and reign for a thousand years and ultimately so that you can be in the new heaven and new earth where the Father comes. So let me give a couple more things. All right, the motivation in preaching. We need to be careful in the days that we're living that our motives are pure. The motive for preaching and sharing the gospel or teaching or whatever we're doing, we better make sure that it is to promote Christ and not a denomination and not other things. But our motives need to be that Christ be glorified in everything. Not glorifying ourselves, not glorifying our ministry, not glorifying the church we're in, but glorifying Christ. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? It's important that the motive is that. Because when your motive is to glorify Christ and to please Christ, you don't care so much about if people like you or not. And the Apostle Paul said that I couldn't be a bondservant of Christ if I lived to please men. And let me tell you, we're not going to be able to please God and man at the same time. And let me go on to say it this way. These two things will be mutually exclusive because there's no possible way that you're going to be really truly living to please God and you are pleasing God and then make every man happy. You hear what I'm saying? It ain't going to happen. We have to preach the truth no matter who likes or dislikes him. Why? Because we're individually going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. Point people to repentance and righteousness. Never make people feel comfortable in sin. It never ceases to amaze me how deceived some people can be that they can get up and preach in a way that they know that there are people under the sound of their voice out there that are living in unrepentant sin and they're preaching in a way that makes them feel comfortable like that seducing deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons that's exactly what that is if there's people in the sound of your voice that are not right with god and they're living in unrepentant sin when you preach they should feel uncomfortable because the holy spirit is telling them you better repent you better repent and we better be willing to preach the whole counsel of god and not just pick and choose what makes everybody happy hello I still got everybody the seven churches there's a lot about these seven churches listed in revelation 2 and 3 there's a lot to it but 
one aspect I want to share is it's a, it's a prophetic timeline from the time of the early church till today. There's a lot more to it than this, but I want you to follow me. So look at this diagram here in the middle or the bottom of, I believe, the second page. But the seven churches, you'll see there that Jesus appeared to John and told him, write this to the seven churches of Asia. There was a lot of different churches, but these seven were picked and they were picked in this order. In the other order, this wouldn't have worked, but they were picked and they were picked in this order because one of the great revelations here is that it is a timeline from the time of uh, the Apostle Paul and the early church all the way to right now before Jesus comes. Now, I want you to see something. Y'all ready? So the first church that was written to was Ephesus. Those of you that have studied the church in Ephesus, we know obviously the book of Ephesians was written to them. But Ephesus was a church that was birthed in the fires of revival. The Apostle Paul probably saw, at least what we know, the Apostle Paul saw the greatest revival of his ministry in Acts chapter 19. To the degree that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him and were sent to the sick, the sick were healed and demons left people. Incredible healings and miracles. Two-year revival. The whole province heard the word of God. The Ephesian church was a church you could call the apostolic church, a revival church, a church where healings and miracles were normal. The power of God was normal. The truth was being preached. It was a powerful church. It was what Jesus discipled his first 12, and then they helped plant these works, so to speak, okay? Their influence was felt. This was that early church that was really pure, the way it was intended to be. And Satan was threatened by it. So this represents from 33 to about 100 AD, roughly around that. So Satan was threatened. I've got to stop this thing one way or another. So this leads into Smyrna. Smyrna, I think, means something like myrrh, crushed myrrh or whatever. It says to be patient for 10 days, you'll be tested. This group now went from the early church to a time from Nero. Nero was the crazy guy that had Paul executed, but he burned part of Rome and blamed it on the Christians. He started the great persecution against Christians that many of you are familiar with and have read about where Christians were thrown into coliseums and eaten by lions in front of thousands and thousands of cheering people. This was going on during the time from Nero to Diocletian. There was 10 emperors during those times that violently persecuted Christianity. But yet, Christianity thrived. This was from around um, 68 to 302. The persecution began even at the end of what we call the early church time. But the persecution, you know what? Even Christianity, even though persecution is strong against Christianity, it seems to thrive. Well, Satan realized that after 10 emperors, he, this wasn't going to stop the church. So now he moved upon Constantine to create Roman Catholicism. And this is called the married church. This was where Constantine began to try to make Christianity like a, 
you guys are familiar with it, like a state-sponsored thing and perverted it tremendously. But truthfully, this was, Roman Catholicism was never true Christianity. The true Christians went underground, and during the whole reign of Roman Catholicism, they hunted them down and killed them. This was the married church where Christianity was perverted. And this went on for around a thousand years. Then you have the next church, Thyatira. This is obviously the medieval church. This is during the Dark Ages, the time of Roman Catholicism. This was, I'm sorry, this was for a thousand years. Then this leads into Sardis. Sardis was the church, the Reformation church. The church that split off of Rome. Martin Luther, the gospel was, was restored. But yet, this denominational church still was not really pure and wasn't right in many ways. There was still a lot of Catholicism in the Protestant Reformation churches. But this leads me to Philadelphia. Philadelphia was around 1750 to around 1905. What happened during those years? You guys remember. We had the first great awakening in America in 1750. Wesley, Whitfield, Edwards, a major revival. Then 1800, the great Cambridge revival, great move of God. Then the mid-1800s, Wesley, Brother Nash, the second great awakening. Then around 1900, what Wales, the great Welsh revival, which dovetailed into a Sousa Street revival. See, Philadelphia, it was called the missionary church, but it's also the restored church. This is where God has been moving in great, wide-sweeping revivals to restore back to a pure church everything that the devil stole from the time of the Ephesian church till now remember I preached that heaven the Bible says about Jesus heaven must receive him until the restoration of all things the Philadelphia church speaks of a church a group of people that are a part of the restoration how many of you guys want to be a part of the restoration church where everything that the devil stole we're going to see all of that restored back before Jesus comes and catches us away and the Lord has been moving to do that very powerfully in the Philadelphia church it's interesting that the Bible says things like this that you'll be a pillar in my presence and not be removed it also says that you will be um, delivered out of the tribulation to come this is the type of church, a, a group of people that are going to be ready when the Lord Jesus comes to catch us away. And they're going to be caught up in the rapture. But that leads to the very, very end called the Laodicea church, which is right now. The Laodicean church can be called the apostate church. This is the lukewarm this is where you see things tolerated in churches that would make our fathers in the faith roll over in their graves. Deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons. And the Bible predicted this Laodicean church right before the coming of the Lord there's going to be like a sifting. I hope you guys can hear what I'm saying. The tares among the wheat. 
You know what a tear is? A tear looks just like wheat, but it's just a weed. It never produces any grain. But it looks like a wheat. God is sending such a mighty move of his spirit, but at the same time, the devil is moving also very powerfully in these last days with deception. And what's happening is, is this intermixture of wheat and tares that's been here for so many years is now being separated. The tares are being bundled up. This is the Laodicean church, an apostate church. Those that, that are embracing certain things and moving away from God. Anyway, they're being gathered to be burned in the barns. But yet the Philadelphia church, those that are a part of this great restoration, this great move of the Holy Spirit, those that embrace Christ and are willing to die for him and, and are going after God with all their hearts, they're being pulled over and bundled up over here. And God has taken the mixture of the wheat and tares where there's been all this mixture and beginning to separate the two. And there's becoming a great distinction as to those that are truly the Lord's and those that are definitely not. And that leads me to the last couple things. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, the Bible says, let no one in any way deceive you. Once again, we see connected to end time prophecy, deception. For it will not come, talking about the coming of Christ, the catching away of his bride will not come unless the apostasy comes first. An apostate is someone that once walked with God. They once walked with Jesus, but now they've turned their back on him. They're an apostate. It's the Greek word apostasia. It's translated in other places as a rebellion or a falling away. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. That's obviously the Antichrist, the son of destruction. So let me give you a couple closing thoughts. This is really important. What is a church really? Is a church conceived of man or conceived of God? I want you to think about something because see there's been so much for so long that people have gotten used to it's all we've ever known as far as church is concerned it's all we've ever known and one of the things that I've really prayed about is I've studied the Bible and I've studied the book of Acts and I want to try to get as close to it as possible what Jesus actually intended the church to be There's no such thing as a perfect church. We're not anywhere close. But I'm just saying I'm, my heart is to see, like the early church, the purity of what the early church was. But let me ask you this question. Is churches, is it conceived of God or man? It makes me wonder because many times, and I'm not picking on any particular denomination or group, but a lot of times people are like, well, you know, this city needs churches, and so it's something that's conceived in the, in the minds of men that we're going to do this, and then we're going to build it because we're going to do this, 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 and this, and draw the crowds. It's something that was birth of man. But let me ask a question. It's a provocative question, and I hope that this really makes you think, but are those type of churches conceived of God and really truly a church in his eyes or is it conceived of man we need to think about these things we need to be asking questions like this because see this the a true church has to be drawn and birthed by the spirit of God it has to be spirit-led it cannot be a man thing 
If it's a man thing, then it is just going to be a social club. It's going to be an institution. It's going to be a religious thing, but it's not going to be a Holy Spirit thing. See, the church was born in Acts 2 when the Spirit of God fell. It was birthed by the Holy Spirit. And since around 1750, God has been restoring back everything that the devil stolen from the church by the move of the Holy Spirit. Are churches birthed by the Spirit of God? Or, let me ask another provocative question. What about churches that were birthed out of division? Because some people split off somewhere and went off and started something. Out of rebellion and out of division. Is that a Holy Spirit birth church or is that man birthed? I'm just going to tell you as for me, um, I wouldn't go to a church that was birthed that way because there's a spirit of rebellion there. And that's a good place to get hurt and have a lot of problems. See, here's the thing. In the Bible, when you read, you guys remember reading Moses brought them out through the Red Sea. They went through the wilderness. And then the next generation, Joshua. Joshua takes the, the young people now. They're going to war. They go in. They conquer Jericho. They begin to conquer throughout the land. And, and he begins to divide up different portions of the land to give it to different tribes. And we read about where the tabernacle, Moses, ended up in a place called Shiloh. And God had told Israel, he said, now listen, you make sure that all of your sacrifices, your sin offerings, your burnt offerings, the peace offerings, all that you do, you go to the tabernacle. You have the priest do this. You're not just going to do it on your own. You're not going to just do something in your backyard. You're going to bring it to the house of God. This was very important. But how many remembers reading that after Joshua died, there was a generation that emerged that did what was right in their own eyes. They began to get away from the word of God. And so pretty soon you have people that didn't want to go all the way to Shiloh to the tabernacle so they begin to go to high places various hills and, and mountainous areas and they begin to build altars there and they would offer up sacrifices to God and you read in the Bible where even King Solomon did this I'm trying to ask some provocative thoughts but how many of you guys know that even though God may have tolerated that it was never something that was his perfect will and I believe it provoked him and later on in scripture you read about when they when the children of Israel really got apostate they would use those same altars and they would burn incense to demon gods like Baal and Asherah see that wouldn't have happened if they went to the tabernacle and did it God's way we better make sure that we don't have a bunch of high places where we're doing it our way and what seems good in our own eyes we better make sure that we're doing it God's way if we've ever lived in a time where I see so many different people out there that are doing things and they're making they use scripture you know to condone it they use scripture to manipulate to, to make it sound like it's okay with God if there's ever been a time where it seems to me like people are just kind of doing what's right in their own eyes and justifying it by twisting scriptures to do so it seems like today 
We better make sure that we're not just doing something and it's actually creating high places that is, is not of God and it's provoking the Lord. And let me give you some possible high places. Number one, we better be careful to not be blending into churches things that are occult or pagan. God has not changed and he will not tolerate sexual immorality in his house or among his people. The people that will continue down that road and will put up with it and they'll ordain people like that. God said, and you can read it in Revelation chapter 2, if they don't repent, God himself will remove their lampstand. That means that they will not even be considered a church as far as God's concerned and the light is out. Number three, God has never tolerated bloodshed. It grieves me to think that there would be people that would be going to churches that would feel comfortable with voting for somebody that's pro-abortion that would have abortions in their church or would have counselors that would promote abortions but it happens they're doing what's right in their own eyes they're making high places and i think about the jezebel spirit's influence in all of this in churches number two denominational walls i believe it provokes the lord whenever people are all about a particular denomination and then they shut out other denominations. That is being divisive. All the religious competition that goes on, the dead religion, the pet doctrines, the religious witchcraft people play church, the illegitimate authority and the division that's tolerated, it's religion. It's high places. Number three, People that rally around some figure too much. You think about churches like um, the Methodists have rallied around Wesley. I'm not being critical of the Methodists. I love them. But whenever it's all like rallying around a, a figure too much or the Lutheran churches that have rallied too much around Martin Luther, praise God for these men. I love them. I honor them. But I'm not rallying around a figure like that. I want people to rally around Jesus. And it's one of the things about River of Life. You know, from the very beginning, I always felt that the tabernacle pattern. And it, what is that, the tabernacle? Nobody ever talked about in the Bible about how handsome some, you know, high priest was or about how fancy the decor was or how great somebody's shofar playing sounded. You never heard about any of this ridiculous stuff. When people came there, it was about drawing near to him. The focus was on God. It's one of the things I love about River of Life because nobody seems to really care too much. The worship comes on and everybody's upward, focused on Christ. I think about this number three, still this state-sponsored and controlled church is idolatry. It's produced idolatry and false conversions. It's a religious spirit. And then number four, getting away from true biblical book of acts christianity that christ himself planted the earth and replacing it with what's of man the world and even demonic these are high places this is where people are doing what's right in their own eyes they're they're not going back and, and following the scripture they're creating high places and i believe it provokes the lord and this is the last thing i want to say tonight the travels of david i dealt last week out of order i dealt with the holy spirit but there were seven places that Jesus traveled, I mean, that uh, David traveled when he was running from Saul. Number one was Naoth and Ramah, which has to do with your authority. Then Ezel, which has to do with the Holy Spirit. Nob, which had to do with learning how to pray and crucify the flesh. Gath, which had to do with the power of the blood. Mizpah, which had to do with the power of the name of Jesus. 
Judah, which had to do with the power of praise and worship, and finally, Hereth, which had to do with suffering and seclusion. I'm going to go through these as we go through this uh, series, but I want to give you a closing thought right here. Naoth and Ramah, you can read about it on your own. The notes are there. But you know what Naoth and Ramah is? It has to do with our authority. Listen, guys, I preached about sifting tonight. If we will be willing to let God really purify our lives, deeply consecrate us, and sift out of us the things that need to go, how many are willing to do that? Say, Lord, burn out of me everything. Cleanse me. Then also what we need to understand is, is that those that are true Christians have tremendous authority. That's one of the reasons why my wife and I have seen people deliver to things because we understand what the Bible says that we have authority over the devil and his kingdom. You as a Christian have authority and you need to understand your authority. And this is what I want to close with is this thought. Listen, I'm going to read this in Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You know what that is? God helping you to understand things so that you will know what is the hope of your calling, which is uh, which are the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above all rule authority where is Christ seated far above all rule authority power and dominion every name that's named not only in this age, but in the age to come. He put all things under his feet. Are you seeing that? I want this really to get into your spirit tonight because God wants us to understand our incredible authority in Christ. So God raised Jesus from the dead. He's seated far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. And then if you skip down to Ephesians 2, 5, this is what it says now about me and you. Even when, we, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ by grace you're saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ. So that in the ages to come, he might show us surpassing riches. But I want you to think about something. Where is Christ? He's in a position of authority at the right hand of the Father, far above all principalities and powers all demons all works of the devil everything that's of satan's kingdom jesus has been exalted above it and it's under his feet now what does the bible say about me and you we have been raised up and seated with christ people need to get a revelation because once you understand the level of authority that we have in christ that we can command that things that are coming against us to be bound and to back off and go we can pray for people and see them delivered of things. We have authority in Christ. And see, naoth means um, habitations, a seat. But it comes from a root word, which means height. The very first thing David had to learn was this, this concept of having authority in God. And the Bible even goes so far as to say, I believe it's in Colossians, it says that Christ disarmed principalities and powers, triumphing over them at the cross. Jesus has defeated. We need to be led by the Spirit. Don't engage in battles unless you're led to do so. But we have authority. 
Matthew 16, 19, Jesus said, Behold, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. We have authority to bind and loose. You know what bind means? To tie up. You know what loose means? To destroy. See, whenever I'm praying for people, many times I'll feel, I'll take authority and say, we break this or we destroy this. We're loosing off and out of people something that is not of God. And I love Luke 10, 19. Behold, I've given you authority to tread upon snakes and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. Everybody say, all the power of the enemy. And nothing will harm you. You have authority. And so here's the thing. God is wanting us to begin to understand this authority. If, according to this that I've taught tonight, if we'll recognize some of these attacks of the devil, and if we'll be a people that will let God really purify us and sift us and cleanse us, and then we will begin to understand the authority that we have in Christ, I believe God's going to do great things. Because God can take a people that are pure, that he's sanctified them unto him, he's consecrated their lives, and then they understand their authority over the devil, over his works, that they can be used to destroy the works of the devil in people's lives. And I believe he's going to raise up a great army in these latter days that's going to see that very thing. All right, we're going to pray for people tonight. We can shut down recordings, but I want us people, everyone to really grab hold of that concept that you, you have authority. A lot of people think that they need to look to the pastor about certain things, and that's fine, but the, the truth is that Christians, you have authority. If something's ever messing with you that's of the devil, you have authority to say, in Jesus' name, I bind you, you go from me now. If something's ever messing with you in your house, you have authority to bind it, commit to leave. You have authority to begin to, to go forth and pray for other people to be delivered of things and set free.